So there is an island in the Caribbean that's very exclusive. Cayo Santiago. It's located off the east coast of Puerto Rico. Close enough that a strong swimmer might reach it from Puerto Rico. But most inhabitants of Puerto Rico, as well as tourists to the area, have never been to Cayo Santiago, nor will they ever likely set foot on that island. Why? A clue comes from the Spanish nickname for the island, La Isla de los Monos, the island of the monkeys. You see, Cayo Santiago is a scientific research facility. It's, it was established a, a monkey colony in the late 1930s. It's an island where only the only permanent residents are rhesus macaque monkeys. Um, the only humans who ever spend time on the island are scientists who ferry to and fro from nearby Punto Santiago each day. They go there to collect fecal samples, provide food and water, and observe the behavior in a, as unobtrusive a way as possible of all these highly social primates. The goal is often to learn about the habits and patterns of behavior in these animals and see what wisdom can be gleaned from understanding them to help our own understanding of human beings. So one of the core research projects by scientists like Lauren Brent has to do with social connections. What kind of relationships do these monkeys cultivate with one another? How do they function? What do the relationships do for them? And what might understanding positive social connection, what we might more commonly call friendship in animals like these monkeys, tell us about our own biological and sociological need for friends? A casual observer of the inhabitants of Monkey Island on first glance might not notice a lot of like warm, loving behavior. They'd likely be more aware of all the aggression because these monkeys can be very aggressive. The human researchers do their best to like stay out of the way and avoid eye contact and avoid getting peed on. The various clans of monkeys have their own social systems. They often operate like caste systems with various members having different degrees of power and roles being very strongly reinforced through very dominating behavior. Those with the most social power are the ones to eat first. They get the best pick of the food. They hang out closest to the water. They have the best real estate. They work to intimidate those who seem to forget their place in the hierarchy by trying to grab a piece of meat before the powerful have had their fill. But researchers who spend a lot of time working with and observing these animals also notice more subtle behaviors. They notice the ways that the animals actually form bonds with other animals and then use those bonds to meet their own needs and navigate their world. So grooming one another, okay? If you've ever been at a zoo and you've seen monkeys grooming each other, that's a positive social bonding activity. It's seen from the young monkeys as in a group, kind of like if you've ever been on a playground, right? And seen the young girls all braiding each other's hair. But you also see it in adults grooming one another. 
seemingly to get in one another's good graces. So while some might use dominance and power to try to climb the social ladder, showing off their strength or their loudness of their screams, others gain social power by grooming the right monkeys, making friends, it's, you could say, in high places. But perhaps nothing in recent years has told the scientists studying primate behavior more about the importance of positive social connection amongst these animals than the kind of experiment you generally don't plan for. What happens when devastating, unpredictable circumstances come to a community? How does the community respond? How does it adapt? Specifically, what happens to an island of monkeys after it's hit by a massive hurricane, as Puerto Rico was in 2017 with Hurricane Maria? At first, the overwhelming damage of the hurricane made observing the impact of the hurricane on the monkeys impossible. There just was no infrastructure to see what was happening, right? The research facility on the island itself was completely demolished. And much of the infrastructure on the main island, on Puerto Rico, was demolished as well. 3,000 human lives were tragically lost. But as the dust settled and the scientists were able to return to the island, fully expecting maybe the monkeys would just be gone, what they discovered there was actually something different. Ultimately, a story of resiliency. Very few of the roughly 1,500 monkeys there seemed to have died. And though the landscape was vastly changed, the animals were adapting. And the primary way they seemed to adapt was through cultivating more positive social connections, through making more friends. What scientists found most interesting was the way in the wake of the storm, the monkeys became more social with one another, but in a surprising way. It was not through kind of digging into the relationships they already had, but rather building new ones. The storm upended this like fixed social structure that researchers had observed for decades, this caste system that was in place. What they noticed was that the social networks expanded very quickly in the wake of the storm. The animals were behaving with less competition, more tolerance toward one another. Groups of monkeys who previously were in rivalry started connecting with one another, helping each other find the new sources of food or shade or water after the storm had cleared. Animals who'd previously been very isolated, like kind of the loners of the island, found their way into groups. Survival, it seems, at least for the rhesus monkeys, depends on having a strong network of friends. Now, we ourselves, of course, have been living through our own kind of social experiment that I think no one would have planned for. Now going on two years, this pandemic has been an experience that's profoundly upended the way we as humans have related to each other. Scientists will likely be trying to analyze data and make meaning of the impact of all of this for generations. But we're here in the middle of it, without the insight of distant observation. We're just living this reality of experiencing social disconnection and attempts at reconnection, navigating places of isolation, places of forging new connections over the last couple years. In the last few months, some of us have gone from connecting only through Zoom and email and Slack to here, 
coming to places like this to try to gather in person. So what is it that brings us here? I don't flatter myself to think it's my awesome nuggets of wisdom. Because truthfully, if you're just here because Leah has, you know, compelling things to say, you could just watch it on YouTube whenever you want from your living room, right? Clearly, there's some reason to join a live Zoom call, hello, or show up in person. Something that happens in this space that can't be replicated in any other way. The biologists and social scientists on Cayo Santiago, I think, would connect it with what the monkeys are doing when they groom each other or share access to the watering hole. Because human beings, like other primates, are profoundly social. We seem to need positive social connection. We need friendship. But how much do we really understand about this seemingly innate biological need? How much do we get about how friendship works and why it's important for our mental, physical, and emotional well-being? How much do we understand about why we make friends in the way we do or why we don't think of some relationships as friendships? And finally, what impact does friendship have on our spiritual journey, on our connection with God? How does it assist or challenge our practice of faith? And how might a spiritual community like Haven play a part in all of it? These are the questions I've been thinking about lately and wanting to take some time to consider together this fall as we continue to rebuild in this season of the COVID reality. We've talked over the last several months about things to look at as we seek to, quote, recover the sacred amongst us, things like our relationship to worship or to the Bible or to vision. But what about our relationship to each other? or to other people in our world beyond Haven? How does thinking about those kinds of connections also play a fundamental role in our rebuilding and recovering as human beings and as community? That's some of what I hope for us to explore together over the next couple months, including it'll go through our uh, upcoming retreat as we look at the role of friendship in our lives. I'm calling this series Friendship matters, and I mean that, of course, in a couple of ways. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be discussing matters related to friendship, so you could say friendship matters. But this title is also a statement I believe to be true. There's something many of us, it's maybe something many of us take for granted, but perhaps we should pay a little more attention to. Friendship makes an impact on our life. Friendship matters. Now, as we begin this series of conversations together, I think it's likely that even this concept of friendship might strike different ones of us differently. So some of us might find thinking about friendship super easy. Others of us might feel like it's really challenging. Some of us may feel like this whole pandemic experience has really clarified the role of friendship in our lives. And for others, maybe it's confused it. It seems to me like an important way to start a conversation that I would say ultimately is about social connection is to actually connect a bit socially about where we're coming from in this conversation, okay? To bring some of our questions, concerns, and so on into this space and consider them together. So today that's kind of what we're going to be doing, all right? We're going to do things a bit differently rather than just like hear me talk for a bit and then discuss at the end. 
I'm going to invite you all to talk with each other, and then we'll do it with a bigger group a bit now um, around this general topic of friendship and see what comes up, okay? So we're kind of changing up the order a bit today. It's going to be a bit more interactive, and that might be true throughout this series. Um, we'll, we'll see. So the plan for today is to break into some small groups for about 10 minutes, and I have a quote for each of you, okay? I'm going to hand out to each group. So let's say like three groups in the um, person space and then the Zoom group will be a group, okay? And, um, and I'll give you guys each a quote and there will be some questions about the quote that, that you'll all be considering together. I would ask you to nominate a person in the group, um, somebody volunteer hopefully, who is willing to kind of then report back to the rest of the group, share, share the, the quote you guys discussed with everybody. Um, as well as some of your impressions. That's a, the 10 minutes is kind of like, huh, how, how does this quote define friendship or not to us? Do we, do we agree with it? Do we not? You know, what is helpful about it or not? That kind of thing. Just to kind of get us talking about our thoughts around friendship. And then we have the whiteboard. Um, as you guys share some of the stuff that comes up, I'll be taking notes and putting it down on the whiteboard. And this is actually going to be helpful for me. Um, as I kind of think about, and Jeannie, and you know, as we think about kind of where this series is going, like what are some of the themes, what are some of the questions, what are some of the challenges folks find around this topic? Does that make sense? And that'll hopefully give us some, some insight around what would be helpful to talk about going forward. Um, all right, so that's what we're going to do. We got about 10 minutes in small groups, and then we'll come back and report back. Um, so go ahead and organize yourself in some groups, and I will distribute the quotes. Possibly. Do you want to do it? What? Yeah. Somebody come up here and share I with the group your quote and just a few comments about what you guys observed about it. It looks like Amanda's coming. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. This is so funny. I swear I didn't have any words with me today. Like I left them at home. But um, this quote, sometimes being a friend means mastering the art of timing. There is a time for silence, a time to let go and allow people to hurl themselves into their own destiny, and a time to prepare to pick up the pieces when it's all over. That's Octavia Butler. Um, this reminded me of a time that I lost some friends because they didn't agree with the decision that I made. And um, they put the Bible and the letter of the law above our friendship. And they didn't approach me as an equal and have a discussion. They approached me as from a, pri a place of pride and um, knowing, you know, holier than thou. And they didn't respect me or honor my own wisdom. And, you know, they hadn't walked a mile in my shoes. And they were just totally judgy. And they ditched me because of the decision I made. And, and that really redefined my definition of friendship. Um, exactly like this quote, um, allow people to hurl themselves into their own destiny. And um, Luca was saying that there is a time to speak out though and say, I disagree with what you're doing and you shouldn't do that. And he has lost friends because of speaking out. Um, like if someone's in a relationship that's abusive or they are um, have some maybe unconsidered racism and and they don't they don't get it you know like we are responsible for um telling our friends like hey you need to think about this but i would emphasize you need to approach them with a 
spirit of love and respect and not you're better than them. All right. For the Zoomers, our quote was from Aristotle, a friend to all is a friend to none. Let's see if I can get my notes. Um, at first blush, a friend to all is somebody who's friendly to everybody and spread out really thin. And friendships take time. And you, nobody has time to be truly friendly, friends with everybody. Um, you can be friendly to everybody, but you won't really know the other people. Friendship requires loyalties to specific relationships, and that's hard to do to everybody. It would be an 80-hour work week to be friends with everybody. Actually, it wouldn't even be everybody, but you spend all your time. Um, it's impossible to have real friendship with everyone. Friendships have to develop organically. There's not enough time to really be friends with everybody. Um, a friend is someone who knows you and somebody that, to have a friendship, we know each other. Um, let's see. And a friend is somebody who, ev even if they drop off the face of the map and then come back, um, there's all kinds of complications in friendship and it takes a lot of effort. Um, you didn't write this down, but I forgot. <laughs> anyway, um, all right, well, there's, there's more to it, but, um, um, friendship is challenging and I think that's it. I have one, uh, hope these are interesting and challenging quotes. Will you post them somewhere so we can review them? Thank you. Yeah, how about I, I will maybe we'll kind of re-engage Slack a bit in this series so I can put them up on Slack later today. And if you guys want to uh, find them, you can find them there. Um, all right, let's hear from the next group. OK, our quote was, the only way to have a friend is to be one, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, so we um, we said that some of the meaning uh, around this is teaching by example and kind of putting out there what you want to receive, modeling what you want, uh, doing to others how you would for yourself. Um, we looked at some definitions of friendship. One was that it's an active thing. You can't just sit around and, you know, expect people to be your friends without being a friend to them and, and, and um, engaging with them. One of the questions had to do with um, why is this challenging to our, some of our beliefs, and it came up that um, sometimes when you need a friend the most, you're not in a position to be a friend if you're sick or you have mental health challenges or just a, a bad day. And we uh, remembered this quote that had to do with them. Um, uh, we can all be insane, but not at the same time. So this kind of balance of, you know, it, it's not necessarily, okay, we're both in a great mood, let's be friends right now. There's some um, give and take. Um, friendship is something that's enjoyable. Um, it's when you're investing your time in another person. Um, being outward thinking, meaning it's unconditional and you're not doing it to get something back. Um, there's a gift to getting to know other people. And also the idea that we need friends. We're not meant to be in isolation in order for our own growth and even biologically we're meant to engage in, um, in community with, with others. 
Um, all right, there is a lot here, right? As I, I, I think you guys have all gotten a taste. I was having a conversation about this with Ginny and Jeannie earlier this week, who, you know, Ginny's kind of helping us think through some experiential parts of our gatherings and how to how to make the most of a, our content. And we kind of were in this place of like, oh my gosh, there's just so much to think about. It can be a little overwhelming um, to know where to start. And so I'm glad that we could kind of have some time to discover that together. We have had a chance to um, hear a little bit We'll hear more in future weeks about what science has to tell us about friendship. We've considered what some of these historic voices from philosophy and literature and history have had to say. We've thought a bit about some of the impressions of folks here in this space. And in this introductory conversation, I just want to end, before we end, I want to take a bit of time to look at some thoughts from our tradition that I think might also be relevant. Um, but before we do so, I want to acknowledge, as we as we continue to kind of get started on this, some realities that might be coming up for people. We heard a little bit about it, I think, in our conversation already as we consider this topic together. Because the truth is, as much as I think it's an important theme for us to consider together, particularly in the wake of the pandemic, I also recognize that for some of us, thinking about friendship in the context of spiritual community, that can feel tricky. In an ideal world, a spiritual community is a place where friendships are fostered in fulfilling ways, but let's be honest, that's not always how it goes, right? Perhaps some of us have been in communities in which we were expected to only be friends with people in the community. Perhaps even people we didn't really have that much in common with or particularly feel like we like them. <laughs> Or maybe our community expected us to look at all friendships with people outside of our faith tradition as like some sort of evangelism project, some sort of agenda. Some of us, that's been our experience. That could understandably make friendships strained. Some of us have seen friendships and perhaps we've been hurt by those we had once called friends. We had some theological disagreement or some other conflict. Maybe it became clear the community was unsafe for us or our loved ones. Our friends couldn't get that. Maybe we had a community. Maybe it's just the reality that we have had community we once loved. Everything was great, but life in some way separated us from them. We moved for school or for work or eventually just the community itself disbanded. And that loss just hurt. So now the idea of starting over and cultivating those kinds of relationships again can feel hard. We don't want to set ourselves up to hurt again. So I just want to name all of that as we start. Name that all of that might be in the mix and, and probably more. And as always, we want to be sensitive to where everyone's coming from. My goal in inviting us into this conversation isn't to bring anyone into anything that feels like forced or unhelpful for your social and emotional well-being. I don't expect that each person, each of us is going to like become best friends with everyone else in Haven or even anyone, right? But I do hope that examining this topic together will help us be more thoughtful about our connection with, what, with other people and hopefully grow in our friendships in enriching ways. Friendships both with one another as well as others in our lives. So finally, in this intro conversation, I just want to take a minute to turn to our 
our own tradition and look briefly, very briefly, at two short passages from the Hebrew Bible that might also help kind of frame some of what we're going to be talking about, but from a theological point of view. It's just a taste. In the weeks to come, we're going to look at other stories and passages from our sacred texts to think more about friendship and the role it plays in our well-being, including our spirituality. But let's just start our look at this theme not far from where we ended in the last series because as you remember in some of our past teachings much of the work that was done to like write down the words our tradition now calls scripture at least in the hebrew bible the earliest parts that took place during and right after the exile which we've talked about a lot and just like hurricane maria impacted how the monkeys on Cayo Santiago interacted with each other, I think the experience of the exile impacted the Jewish community in profound ways and shaped how they thought about themselves and their relationship to one another and to God. I think it impacted how they told the story, what they thought one, what, and what they taught about wisdom. And I think the context is helpful to keep in mind as we look at their reflections on connection and friendship. So in the first chapters of Genesis, a theme emerges that I believe continues throughout the Hebrew Bible and into the New Testament, profoundly influencing the life and work of Jesus himself. And we see it in the way the Hebrew people describe the origins of their human species. It says in Genesis 2, When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, things sprang up, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. And then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Skipping ahead a bit. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who's right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, and he gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Okay, very famous passage. I'm sure we all have heard it. Much could be said about it. Much has been said. Clearly, this is a passage used often to talk about the sacredness of marriage. And there's something to that, of course. There's a reason that this passage has been a part of marriage ceremonies for hundreds of years. And I'll also name that this passage has been used specifically often to talk about marriage or the relationship between men and women in ways that have reinforced patriarchy and heteronormativity, which I think most of us would take issue with. But ultimately, that's not what I want to focus on here, okay? I think those debates, while important, miss the heart of what this story is really telling. And that's what I want to focus on. I think the primary ethic at the heart of this story isn't ultimately about marriage at all. It's about the importance of human companionship. 
At the heart of the story is this truth that God speaks. It is not good for the human to be alone. As the story describes it, the woman stands out in contrast to all the other animals as the right companion for the man, ultimately because she is a human. While anyone with a pet will tell you companionship with animals is wonderful, it can be very enriching, we also know there's something unique and important about the companionship of other human beings. People need each other. It's not good for the humans to be alone. And according to this story, this recognition comes from the creator themselves, right in the creative process. That we are made for relationships with other people is what the story is saying. And that insight is reflected in the wisdom literature that was written in the same era after the exile. In that time of rebuilding that we were looking at this summer, during that era, we have texts like Ecclesiastes written. That's one that we have looked at earlier this summer. It talks about the, it's like a meditation on the fragility of life. Remember, they talk about seasons and how the writer of Ecclesiastes says, like, everything is like vapor, which if you've just lived through something like an exile, maybe, maybe that feels very true. And later in their meditation on life, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, naming one of the important things that brings some sense of meaning to life, even if it is fragile and vapor-like. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. It is a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But who can one keep warm? How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Essentially, I think this writer is expounding on that truth that was named in Genesis 2. It is not good for humans to be alone. The example he names makes it clear. Oh, boy. Can I have somebody help me not be alone right now? Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> we are embodying it. Thank you. Um, the examples he names makes it clear that this isn't just about marriage. It's about the importance of positive social connections in various areas of life, from work to the comfort of physical touch to banding together for physical security. It's, it is not good for humans to be alone. Friendship matters. And of course, nowhere in our tradition, I think, is this more apparent than in the life of Jesus himself. Jesus seemed to take this truth to heart. He lived embodying this value that people need meaningful, positive social connection. He spent the core years of his ministry not just preaching and healing, but day in and day out, cultivating a series of close relationships. So on the night before he died, he shared that intimate meal with those closest followers and told those disciples that he saw them not simply as his students. He didn't regard them as a master regards a servant, he said but I call you friends. So as we're going to explore throughout this series, Jesus seemed to think friendship was a core part of what it meant to be human, and perhaps even part of connecting with the heart of God. 
I believe he invited all of us to model his way of interacting with others in friendship and love, and that he even promised the gift of a spirit which could help empower the demonstration of love and care. He longed for us to live, just as it did for him. So as we end today, this intro to Friendship Matters, I want to end by taking a moment for us to be quiet and spend a little time in some guided meditation and prayer, a chance for us to reflect and potentially connect with the divine spirit that I believe affirms our very real need for companionship and care. This is the God who says it is not good for you to be alone. So as we finish, I think I I want us to have a moment to kind of interact with that idea and with that God. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment to get comfortable, to close your eyes if it's helpful, and take a few calming breaths. And we're going to invite the Spirit to be present with us. And to start, I'm going to invite you to think of a time and a place where you felt close to God. You felt connected to whatever heart is at the center of the universe in some way. Think of that time. Think of that place. Imagine it. Paint that landscape in your mind. The sights, the sounds, the smells. If you're not sure anything comes to mind, then what would you imagine it might be? What kind of place would you connect with God? Now I'm going to invite you to picture the divine there, present with you, in whatever way is helpful for you to picture them. So you might see God the Father, God the Mother, the person of Jesus, or the creator present in creation. Breathe this in. Allow yourself to experience this presence. This is the one who has said, it is not good for the humans to be alone. So now in the presence of the divine, imagine that God has asked you, where in recent months have you felt alone? Allow yourself to notice what comes up, what places, What times, what experience made you feel as if you were on your own? And now, as you acknowledge those things, imagine that God says to you, where have you received friendship in recent months? 
Who has brought care to you? Who has made you feel less alone? See what comes to mind. Acknowledge these to your divine companion. Give thanks for these people and these experiences. Now imagine your partner asks, who have you befriended? Where have you helped another feel less alone? Acknowledge what comes to mind. Give thanks for that experience the honor of being a friend. God, we recognize the truth that we, we know we are made for companionship. It is not good for us to be alone. And we also know that this year, this last two years going on, has probably brought its share of loneliness in ways that we may not have been prepared for. And we don't know how long it will take us to recover from. We thank you that you are one who knows that we need companionship. With you, yes, but also with one another. May we grow in that in this season and when we grow in being friends, not only to each other, but to many in our world around us. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends. We're going to move into our time of responsive worship. So if Deirdre, you want to come up. And this is just to be a, a chance for you to continue in that reflection as you like. And also... Um, you know, to respond together.